the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I think we need to use discernment before we just start handing money out to everyone. Because again, the Bible says, look, if you're not willing to work, then you should not eat either. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. We're going to be in the book of Jude here. So if you go all the way to the right of your Bible and back up a little bit, that's where you'll find the little book of Jude. I entitled this message tonight, A Task at Hand. See, we all have things to do, right? It doesn't seem to matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. We all have certain tasks that we have to do. A task, according to the dictionary, means a job that needs to be done. It could be a chore. You ladies, you know, you have to slave over the stove. You have to do the laundry, all of these things. It's a duty that we have to do. Yes, for some, it means uh, paying down the bills, sitting down and knocking those out. For others, it's just doing whatever has to be done. The bottom line is, it's work of some kind. And it's got to be done. And where did work all begin? Well, that all started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It was part of the curse after Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. God said this to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. He says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of the tree. Cursed is the ground because of you. In labor you will eat of it all the days of your life by the sweat of your brow. Well, see, in the Garden of Eden, it was all a cakewalk before they ate of the forbidden fruit. But yes, man, after he rebelled against God and ate of the forbidden fruit, he was condemned to exhausting labor to make a living. Hey, Adam, Thanks for nothing. I just wanted to point that out. But anyway, now that we all have to work, we all have to labor here. It was funny. One time my daughter, we were, she was having a peach or something. It was a peach or a nectarine or something like that. So she went over to the sink and she washed it and everything. And then she came down to have lunch and she had the piece of fruit just sitting on the table on a napkin. And my other daughter, uh, her older sister said, hey, Mary, can I have that piece of fruit? And she's like, huh? She goes, yeah, well, what would Jesus do? Jesus would let me have the piece of fruit. And she looked at her and she says, labor your own harvest. (laughs) Go wash your own. And I just thought it was so funny because she was so young at the time. I just thought, well, that was a pretty good comeback. You know, it's like, uh, but anyway, if we do not work, this is what the Bible tells us. And this is why, you know, 
We have to be wise in what we do. There are so many homeless people here by choice, I might say, by choice, because they don't want to work and they just want to, you know, leech off of everyone that comes by us, okay? The Bible tells us in Second Thessalonians 3.10, it says, if anyone will not work, then neither should he eat. Wow, that's pretty strong. Now, look, there's people that are homeless because of the unfortunate circumstances, this and that and whatever. And we need to use discernment in that because, you know, some people really do want to get off the street and what have you. But then there's other people that are like, I mean, they're just milking the system and, you know, they're getting a check and this and that. And they're just bumming people for money all the time because it's here. It's everywhere you turn around. So I've kind of made it a rule. I don't give money out. Every now and then the Lord will just lay it on my heart. Now you need to give this person money. So I, I will, you know, but most of the time, 90% of the time, I won't hand money out. It's like, it's not going to happen. I carry some food in my car. It's like, I'll hand them some food or I'll buy food for them maybe or whatever. But I think we need to use discernment before we just start handing money out to everyone. Because again, the Bible says, look, if you're not willing to work, then you should not eat either. And now in our day and age, not only men, but most women have to work also, you know, with the cost of living continuing to rise, having to work. It's just the way it's going to be this side of heaven. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be different. But until then, there's going to be a lot of work. Well, knowing that we all have to work, we must all remember when applying for a job, we must always make a good first impression, right? So if you know you're looking to upgrade your life, you're looking to upgrade your job, it's like, hey, if you go for a job interview, it's like you got to make a good first impression. But some people don't take their job interview serious enough. So get this. I was reading about some of these things that people did on their job interview. You know, one guy, he brought his large dog into the interview. Probably not a good idea when you're going for a job interview. Leave your dog at home already, okay? Number two, another chewed bubble gum and constantly blew bubbles during the job interview. It's kind of like, can you leave now already? It's like, okay, I'm already done with you. The last gal, she announced, I didn't have time to eat my lunch, so I brought my burger and fries. Do you mind if I just have it right here? Uh, Okay. I, I, what do you say at that point? Yeah, go ahead. Did you bring one for me? Anyway, but know this. Before we even get to the job interview, the employer must get past our application, right? Yes, we all have tasks to complete. So tonight, as we look into the book of Jude, Jude was the brother, or I should say half-brother of Jesus. They shared the same mother which is Mary, of course. Jesus, as you know, had no earthly father. Jesus was supernaturally conceived in the womb of his mother, Mary, by the Holy Spirit. But after Jesus was born, and not before that, uh, Mary was kept a virgin by her husband. Joseph didn't touch her until after the birth of Jesus. But after, of course, Jesus was born, they went on with their marriage like any other marriage would. And they had their intimate times and there were several other children that the Bible lists. So Jude was one of those other children. So he was a half brother. Anyway, Jesus, as you know, was raised by Joseph as his earthly father. Uh, the husband of Mary. But at the beginning of this book, though, Jude described himself as a bond slave. Now, he could have introduced himself as, hey, I'm the brother of Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty good calling card, isn't it? You know, it's like, hey, who are you? 
Jesus' brother. Ah, okay. <laughs> but he didn't say it that way. He just said, I am Jude and I am a bondservant. You know, and of course, you know, as a bondservant is one who has, has become a slave by his own free will and desire. And that's how he wanted to be known, not as Jesus' brother, which he was, but just as, you know, I'm just a slave by my own free will to whatever God's will is for my life. And the reason that Jude wrote this letter in the first place was because he lived in a time that was very much like the time that we're living in right here. Christianity was under attack from all angles. There were political attacks around them, and there were spiritual attacks. And who were those coming from? It was the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics were those who believed that they had a superior spiritual knowledge. It was a knowledge that they gained not by the study of God's word, but rather by self-illumination. And they thought that their illumination was only available to an elite few. They had two crazy thought patterns here. The first one was they thought, the Gnostics thought, that they were not under obligation to obey any moral law. You see that with many today. That's why this is very similar to what we're dealing with today. There's people that are like, hey, look, I'm not under anybody's moral law. I do whatever I feel is right. It's like as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, I do what I think is right in my own eyes. And of course, if you read through the whole book of Judges, one of the darkest times in humanity's, uh, you know, existence here on planet Earth was by the end of the book of Judges. And it just says simply that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So we see that happening today. People are just doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, this is what the Gnostics thought. Like, look, I'm not under anybody's moral law. I do what I think is right in my eyes. And second, they thought that through some kind of bodily abuse, it would promote a greater spirituality. If I suffer, if I cause things hard you know, for myself, then that's going to make me more spiritual than you. Now, this has been going on through you know, the beginning of time. You remember when uh, Elijah was up on Mount Carmel, uh, what was that, First uh, Kings, like 18-ish, 19-ish, you know, they were having the, the battle of the Super Bowl of the gods, you know, where whoever's God will bring fire down from heaven and take up an offering, then that's going to be the God, because the people were serving all these gods of the Baals, and all of these things are the Baal God. And so anyway, with all of that said, when their God didn't bring fire down from heaven, and the reason that their God didn't bring fire down from heaven... Because he didn't exist. There is no other gods, okay? There's only one God. It's the creator of the universe. People worship all kinds of things, but they're not real. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. So, so there was no fire that came down. But, but while they were waiting, they, they did this all morning long into the afternoon. They were begging their God to bring fire down and nothing, of course, happened. So they started cutting themselves and they started doing all these things and they're gushing blood everywhere. So anyway, but people will do things to harm themselves to be like more spiritual. You'll even see people that claim to be Christians or have a relationship with God down in like the Philippines and everything. During Easter time, they'll crucify themselves to somehow be more spiritual. So that's exactly what the Gnostics did. This, of course, is the polar opposite of Christianity. For the very reason that we know this, we know that we're sinners. 
It's because, you know, we are called to live by a moral law. See, we know this because, you know, we have adhered to what God has told us. And it says, you know, we're to adhere to what he says in his word, you know, and his word outlines the moral code that we are to live by, especially in the Ten Commandments. I wonder if you know the Ten Commandments. You know, it's like they're recorded for us in two different places. They're recorded in Exodus chapter 20. That's when God first gave them to Moses upon the mountain of God. And then secondly, they're repeated again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But the first one, as you know, is you shall have no other gods before me. So God said, look, don't worship anyone else. There is no one anyway. Don't have any other God before me. And you shall not make for yourself any kind of a graven image or an idol or anything like that. It's amazing how like the Catholic Church has all these statues and all these things and saints. And the very first and second commandments, like don't have any other God. Don't have any idols, any statues. Don't even have any likenesses of me. Look, we don't know what God looks like, and God's never been seen by anyone, him in his ultimate glory, so don't make any likenesses. Number three of the commandments is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. And what do people do all the time? They hit their uh, thumb with a nail. Oh, Buddha! You know, they don't say that. <laughs> you know, they curse God for whatever, you know. That's breaking one of the commandments of God. And number four, keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, we know, of course, that as Christians, you know, we can worship every day because we are to keep every day as holy to the Lord. The fifth commandment is the only commandment with a promise, right? Honor your father and mother, and with that will bring you long life. The sixth commandment is you shall not murder. That's right. You can't just get mad at someone and say, you know, I really don't like you. Therefore, I'm going to kill you. Okay. You can't do that. Okay. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not go out and sleep with another man or another woman's husband or wife or whatever, okay? If you're not married to them, you cannot have sexual relationship with them. Number eight is you shall not steal. That's right. If it's not yours, you didn't pay for it, you don't own it, don't take it. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. Don't lie and cheat. Don't bear false witness. Don't say you're one thing and you're something else. And, of course, number ten, you shall not covet you cannot covet what your neighbor has. You know, it's like, oh, I just want, I want what they have. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want what they have. Well, those are the Ten Commandments. Numbers 15.39 says, And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. We are to remember his commandments so as to do them and not follow after your own hearts. God says, don't follow after your heart. Yes, but I just feel this is right for me. How many times do you hear people say that? Like, hey, look, it's like it might not be right for you, but it's right for me. I just feel it so much inside of me. He says, no, no, don't follow your own heart. I like what he says in Jeremiah 17, 9. He says, for the heart of man is despitefully wicked and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And there's times, as you know, that we feel something inside, call it your heart feeling. I felt it in my heart. I felt it in my gut. I felt, you know, da, 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 you know, and I felt all this and I felt it inside and you went with it and it was right. And you're like, I knew it. But how many times have you gone with your heart, your gut, and you were wrong at 
absolutely wrong. You made an investment or you bought into something that you know ended up being a scam. I, I felt so good about it. I felt that it was right. It's like, but that's why God tells us, do not follow your heart. Why? Because your heart can deceive you at times. He goes on to say in Numbers 15, 39, do not follow your eyes after which you played the harlots. Because you see things, oh, like, yeah, you see something, okay, I got to have that. You know, you were fine until you saw it. And then you saw it and you got sucked into temptation or sin or whatever because you looked at something you shouldn't look at. But you get the point. He says, your eyes can deceive you in order that you may remember now. I want you not to just go with your heart and what you see, but I want you to remember all of my commandments and do them and be holy to your God. Notice what God said about following after your heart again. He compares it to playing a harlot. Wow. Playing a harlot. There's a good reason why God compared not listening to him or his word to harlots. Now, You know, me and a friend of mine and my wife, we had a ministry to prostitutes when we were living in Washington, D.C. We would go out every Friday night from about 11 o'clock at night till about 3 o'clock in the morning, and we would share Christ with these prostitutes. And, you know, God really blessed it. We actually led many of them to Christ and got them off the street. But anyway, it's like one of the things that I learned, though, with these girls, a lot of them were young, like very young, like you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, these girls is many of them were extremely, not just a little, very rebellious. They didn't want to listen to anyone. There was times that we led girls to Christ. They'd be crying like, you know, when I started this whole life of running away and all this, I never thought I would be on the street doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, you can be rebellious and you can do what you want, but there'll be a price to pay for it. And so goes it, though, for those who claim to be Christians. Yet by their own actions, they prove to be quite the opposite. Because a lot of people can say whatever they want to say, But it's like, are they really what they say they are? And there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians and you look at their lifestyle and it's like, well, I don't know. That's why it says in Titus 1, uh, 16, it says they profess to know God. So there's people that will profess to know God. Yes, I am a Christian, progressive Christianity, you know, where they say I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe the Bible. And then you start asking them more questions like, well, I don't believe in that. Well, no, I don't believe in that. So they say they believe in the Bible. They say they're a Christian, but it's like, well, they don't believe in this and they don't believe in this. And they think that this is okay and that's okay. And we change laws now and we need to be more progressive in our thinking. It's like, uh, no, God doesn't change. So he, saw, he says to those people in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they actually deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So God says, you know what? You're, you're disobedient. You're worthless for any good deed. So people can say whatever they want to say, but the, the, the end result is how you live is going to really prove what you say is true or not. Yes, for those who want to live by what they think is right in their own eyes, like the Gnostics did, be careful because our hearts can, again, deceive us. Plus, we cannot make ourselves holy in any way ourselves. 
There isn't any sacrifice that we can do to make or replace Jesus dying on the cross. See, so many times, like, you know, if we mess up, we kind of want to do good to make up for it. Like, we kind of buy into the whole, you know, the good outweighs the bad. You know, like, okay, I really messed up here, so I'm going to be really good here. But, you know, let's remember, we can never make up for our sin, ever. And that's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God that no one can boast. Okay, so we're saved by the grace and mercy of God. And look, when we mess up, yes, we need to go back to the Lord. And we need to say, God, I'm so sorry that I messed up here. And God, please forgive me. And if we cause people harm in whatever we did, we need to go back to those people and apologize to them. And that's, and that's fun. And God will forgive us. He's promised to do that. Because again, for by grace we've been saved. That's God's unmerited favor. So don't try to make up for it. Don't try to, you know, go out of your way to do some sacrifice yourself. It's like, we we can't replace what Jesus did. That's why when people say, oh, God could never forgive me. What do you mean God could never forgive you? Well, this has just been so bad. Well, no, well, God can still forgive you. Let's remember, it wasn't the blood of, of bulls and goats that were sacrificed for you and for me. It was God himself. He sacrificed himself. It was the blood of God. So, yes, we can be forgiven, you know. But Jude, he wrote this book to deal with the arrival of these false teachers, these Gnostics that were causing a moral apostasy, you could say, meaning it was causing people to abandon their real faith, leaving what they had once clung to for another gospel, another lifestyle, one without Jesus, one that was grasped onto through uh, whatever they thought was right in their own intellectualism. But remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 1, 8 and 9. He says, look, if anyone comes to you, and preaches any other gospel than what I've preached to you and what you've heard from the, you know, the, the apostles or the disciples, he says, let that person be accursed. So I said before, and I'll say it again, if anyone comes preaching any other kind of doctrine, let them be accursed, which is from the Greek word anathema, as far as separated from God as possible. So he says, God's word is never going to change. His message to us is never going to change. So when you start hearing something that's the new version, listen, if it's new, it's not true. Okay. If it's new, it's not going to be true. You know, because God doesn't change. It's not going to be the new version. Oh, here comes the 2.0. Oh, the 4.0. It's not ever going to be changing. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But tonight, as we look uh, at this one-chapter book, I entitled it A Task at Hand. And the task that's presented to us is the task that we have all been entrusted to. And that is to communicate the gospel to a sick and a dying world. Understand, we have all been given gifts. We all have gifts. Now, some people seem to be gifted in sports. Other people are gifted in maybe writing and, and what have you. And the one gift that that is really the biggest gift that we have is we all have been given a gift of life. Like if you're here tonight, guess what? You're alive. You're alive. And, and you have breath. 
You have a mind. You have eyes. You have a, you have a mouth that can talk. And it's like that is a gift because you could be used by God. So it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how messed up you might have been at one point. doesn't matter. You're alive and you know Christ is your Savior. Oh, my goodness. You have the greatest gift because now you have the ability of taking the focus off of you and your drama and able to reach out to someone else and share a life-changing message with them. So we are stewards of our life. How are you being a good steward of your life? Because, see, we have to direct, like, what are we going to do? What am I going to allow myself? Am I going to go down this path over here? Am I going to go straight? Am I going to go over this way? How am I going to be a good steward of my life? Am I going to waste and squander my life? Or will I use my life for the glory of God? See, we have the control of our free time. You know, what we look at what we talk about, and who we hang around with. So let me ask you, how are you managing your life in relation to the things of God? Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.